I ultimately ended up, I did sell it. I think it was 18 months later is when I sold it. And the reason I chose to do that wasn't necessarily because the, the new business was doing so well that it was a good time to flip. It's because I could see the negative impact it was having on my IT business. And some of the other things that I learned were, of course, about a different industry, a different business model. Uh, you know, what was good about that? What did I not enjoy about that? But one of the things that I really learned, which was very positive, was being able to let go and delegate more. If you're a business owner and you're in your first business or you're in the kind of business that's been running for 10 or 15 years, I implore you to think, how might I release myself from being a control freak for everything that's in the business? How might I delegate more? The way that he ultimately builds these multiple businesses is he is the visionary, he has the plan, but then he has other people who are driving and running those businesses. And I think that's the key. It's learning how to manage people, how to lead people more importantly than manage them, how to lead them and paint the vision and have good key executors. If you're going to have multiple businesses, you need to have the support structure of a team. Hey, 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 you are listening to Entrepreneurs Rising. I am Carl Taylor and I'm joined by the incredible Peter Moriarty as well. Hey, Pete, how you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. How are you doing? I am fantastic. I'm excited for this episode because this episode, we're going to be talking about something that I think pretty well any entrepreneur who's been in business or had entrepreneurial ideas for more than, say, a few months uh, can relate to. And that is the idea of when you have multiple ideas in your head, multiple visions, ideas, businesses, and looking at when do you chase one rabbit and when do you chase many rabbits? And is there, you know, some would think, oh, well, maybe you just always chase one, but is there a time that it makes sense to chase multiple rabbits or will you just starve? So that's why I'm excited about this episode because we're going to delve into that, not just like philosophize around the ideas we've got plenty to talk on that but actually share some of our own experiences i know i've had a number of experiences in this and where i'm at in my business journey now and i know you do as well so why don't we maybe kick off and just give me a little summarization pete of your thoughts about this idea of one rabbit versus many rabbits yeah, it's a big question, Carl, and many things come up for me. I think from the macro level, I think about uh, having multiple businesses versus having one business. I think about having multiple brands versus one brand. Uh, both of those situations I've been in, multiple businesses and multiple brands. Um, and then I even think right down to the micro level as well of entrepreneurial time management and time mastery and how you choose where you put your time every day of the week. And that's going to come right down to what are your priorities, uh, what are the strategic initiatives that you're working on, how well are you delegating to your team. And I guess now I think about it, that could even stretch to your personal life as well. You know, what are the tasks that you're potentially delegating or doing yourself in your personal life that may also need a bit of a tweak to optimize for your time as well. So, there are, there are so many levels to this area of time management. I think when I reflect on entrepreneurs and the reason why we may struggle with time management is many entrepreneurs are actually creators. And I'm talking about creator in the sense of the wealth dynamics um, profile. And that is that creators are those that want to birth new things into the world. They want to create. And we can, as entrepreneurs, get a bit bored when we're just in maintenance mode because we want to go out and continue to create and create and build and build and birth new things. And so, it can seem a little, uh, you know, menial to just do the day-to-day -day, and that's where I think many entrepreneurs can have a trap 
of wanting to jump into the new and exciting, but that bright, shiny object can actually hinder performance and can actually hinder success over the long term if you're continually starting new things but not finishing things that need to be finished. Yeah, I, I, there's a couple of things that come up for me as, as you share that. I 100% agree. Like it, it, The visualization I had in my head there was this idea of unfinished bridges, right? <laughs> there's, I, I know I've experienced this in, in my life, not just on business ideas, but even projects within the business, right? Where you've, you've gone to a seminar or you've read a book or you've had an inspiring conversation or you listen to a podcast episode, you're so excited, you've got this new plan, this new idea, and you start executing on it. And you're executing, you're executing, you're executing. You're kind of like building the bridge. And the bridge is like halfway built, maybe even three quarters of the way built. And then you go and read a new book, have a different conversation, a client calls you with a new opportunity. And so all of a sudden, you stop building that bridge and you start building a whole new bridge. And then you keep going, you get going, you get about halfway built. Now you got, and so you end up with like four or five half built bridges that never got to the other side. They're never fully complete projects because you just kept chasing that new idea because of that creative energy that comes from it. Uh, so that's one visualization I had. There was another thing that I wanted to share there that you talked about time management. And I want to kind of challenge that because I actually don't believe in time management. I don't believe that we can manage time. We all have 24 hours in the day. I mean, actually last night I was playing this board game and one of the questions that came up in the board game was like, if you had 25 hours in the day, everyone else had 24 hours and you had 25 hours in the day, what would you do with that extra hour? And then we all kind of came to the realization that, well, all of us could do that. We could just get up an hour earlier and you've effectively given yourself the extra hour in the day. But what that shows is that all of us have 24 hours. Like no one gets that extra 25th hour. We all have the same amount of time. Mm. What it is, is priority management, in my opinion. It's got nothing to do with time. It's about where we choose to prioritize our time. Do you prioritize sleep? Do you prioritize relationship? Do you prioritize friends? Do you prioritize work or this particular client? So it's not about managing our time. I think it's about us deciding what are the important things and prioritizing that. And that's that's an area that I think is far more effective, right? Um, many years ago, I was going to write a book called The Productivity Myth. I was going to call it The P-Myth to make it rhyme with the E-Myth uh, book. And uh, it was going to be the, the myth of productivity. And uh, maybe one day I will write this book, but it ultimately was to, to talk about that productivity is flawed. Just working really hard is, is not the answer. It's about working on the right things, doing the right things to get where you want to go. And that comes down to knowing your priorities, knowing your vision and what's actually important to you. So those are a couple of things I wanted to, to flag there and what you said. Um, do you agree or do you still think that time can be managed, Pete? I, I absolutely agree that time is about resource management and choosing where you, you put each one of those resources. Um, a framework that's that's come to me recently in reflecting on my journey of different stages of business and different stages of where I've chosen to spend my time is that initially in business, I was optimizing for income and that was where all my focus went. I didn't mind spending all of my time on the business because I was optimizing to generate as much income as possible. After I hit my income goal, I then decided to optimize for something else and I started optimizing for time. So then it was about, okay, well, you know, based on the amount of time that I have allotted, how much income am I going to get in return for each hour that I'm spending, right? And started making movements and deciding what I wanted to do based on that. A recent shift that I've had thanks in part to inspiration from yourself, Carl, is optimizing for impact. And that is, okay, I'm comfortable with my time, I'm comfortable with my income. 
how can I optimize the activities and the tasks that I'm doing for more impact, uh, either with my team or with my customers or with our, uh, you know, our, our society and, and, uh, and all the people that uh, participate in it. And then finally, I think there's a fourth stage emerging, which is optimizing for legacy. And that is that mm. how can the things that I do now have lasting impact? Now, I'm not particularly that interested in legacy personally myself, but I think it's interesting to consider those as, as different stages. And like you, I 100% agree. Everyone has the same 24 hours. It's just up to us how we choose to spend things. And um, I think it's a bit of a paradox in that we have time that we spend in our business and we have time that we spend in our personal life, but you get varying levels of reward for that time spent. And there's also... Uh, you know, if you think about your mentality when I'm spending time in the business or when I'm spending time doing something at home, there's actually different levels of uh, enjoyment and reward that you get back from those things. And I think some people have their priorities a little bit skewed. I always come back to the, uh, you know, the the example of who's doing the chores at home, who's washing the dishes or the clothes. Um, you know, can you get someone to help out with those things? These are really basic things to have taken care of by someone else, but can give you so much time back and so much enjoyment back as well uh, from just having small things taken care of uh, that you can then have more time either with family or more time generating income if that's what you're focusing on prioritizing or more time generating fun if that's what you want to focus on as your priority. Well, I was thinking we, we should add an extra layer to your your framework you were just sharing, like optimizing for joy because mm. you know everything you mentioned there, income, impact time doesn't necessarily mean that people are optimizing their life for joy and the things that bring them joy you know uh yeah. liz and i've had this this conversation about like I, I as a techie i love the idea of putting a robotic kitchen together but liz loves cooking like that's a horrible idea to her that if we had an order like the, the, the geek in me goes i want an automated kitchen this would be amazing she thinks it's terrible and i get that because it's something that brings joy whereas cooking Eating brings me joy. Cooking, yeah, not so much. And so uh, I think that's an important extra aspect we can talk there. But I think we're getting a little sidetracked. If we bring this back to the idea of entrepreneurs and the idea of going, well, let's, let's bring it back to like a more realistic idea. Let's say, say you're a listener right now. You're listening and you're going, you know what? I have these two great ideas for business. Maybe you've been in business for a while. You've already got an established business. And now you're going, well, I have this other idea. Do I start pursuing that other idea while keeping my other business going? Do I run these two businesses? Do I effectively, if you want a visual, you know, be trying to ride two horses at the same time? And will that work? Or am I smarter just double down, focus on my main business? And I've got thoughts on this and various experiences. And I know you do too, Pete. I think this is, this is the, everything we've talked about is a good framework about what does it come down to? Priorities, deciding your priorities. But this is, I think this would be really good to explore. So I might share firstly one of my experience of doing this. And then Pete, you can share one of your experiences I know with, with our businesses. So I particularly was running two businesses back in 2008. I think it was 2000 or maybe it's 2007, somewhere around then 2007, 2008. I bought a gift basket business. So I was running an IT company, had been for many years and I got it to a point that I did my first round the world business trip. Well, not business trip. It was just a trip. My first time going overseas. And I did this overseas round the world trip. And I stepped away from my business for about six to eight weeks from memory. And to do that, I'd had to kind of set up different things to make the business work okay for six to eight weeks without me. 
And um, when I came back, it hadn't gone smooth sailing. There'd been issues, but generally the business had done okay. So when I came back, I had a lot more free time on my hands. And I was like, oh, okay. And I'd gone overseas. I'd gone to Vegas to do a particular course about learning about buying businesses. So I was obviously back inspired of like, yeah, I'm going to go buy businesses. And so I started searching for businesses to buy. And I was just spending most of my extra time looking for businesses. And then eventually I found this really good deal. And it was a gift basket business. These two lovely ladies were looking to sell it. And uh, I, I, you know, I put in an offer, gave them some cash to even hold. And then I did my due diligence. And then I ultimately said, you know what? You can either give me the money back or I'll just take the business for what I gave you. And that's what we ended up doing. And maybe another episode, I can give a bit more detail on that deal. But when I ultimately bought that business, it meant that I now had two businesses and I had a split focus. I had an IT company that was up and running, had staff, things were going on. And now I had this new business that was fun. It was exciting. I was going to take it from people receiving fax orders. That's how we were mostly receiving orders. I were going to the markets and they were doing fax orders. And I was going to take it online. I was setting up e-commerce. I was having fun building the new website. I was having fun uh, figuring out how I was going to hire casual staff and then putting ads in the local school newspaper to to get staff to build. And, and I just love that these so, had nothing to do with each other at all, like a gift no, business and an IT business, no vertical integration, completely different. Yeah, the only vertical integration there was the only reason I knew this business was because I had been a customer of them through my IT business. So that was the only connection that it allowed me to, to know and start the conversation with the owners. Um, mm. So there was a little bit of an integration, but it was, there was no strategicness to this. It was just a completely new business that I was buying. And I was buying it with the purpose to build it up, to sell it again within 12 to 18 months. And yep. I ultimately ended up, I did sell it. I think it was 18 months later is when I sold it. And the reason I chose to do that wasn't necessarily because the, the new business was doing so well that it was a good time to flip. It's because I could see the negative impact it was having on my IT business. That mm. I went from having one like decent business that was doing okay, like I'm doing far better in business today than I was back then, but we were doing pretty good to all of a sudden I had kind of two average businesses because mm. it was getting split focus. It wasn't getting any full-time focus of mine. And so that was the first lesson and story I created was you should never run more than one business at once. It doesn't work. So that's one aspect of my story. Pete, I know you've had some similar experiences. What, what, what happened for you? I have, but before I want to jump into those, like, were there any benefits or, you know, pardon the pun, gifts? Uh, was there anything that, that worked or that it, it helped you in that situation or was it just all bad? You just halved your attention and so you halved your results in both cases. Oh, no, there was, I mean, there were heaps of like learning. I mean, everything has, has learning value. So I, I learned that I, pre by preference, would probably never have a perishable goods business ever again where stock can be thrown away and you've got to worry about use by dates and things like that. I would probably never choose to do that. I learned about whole different aspects of business. You know, in the IT company, it was all full time staff. In, in the gift basket business, we were using casual staff. We had rosters. So it was a very different approach to managing teams that I'd ever experienced and payroll and all of those things. Uh, it was also the first business that I brought a, a friend. I brought my best friend at the time in and he became like the general manager. And I was still very early in my entrepreneurial career of understanding the, the value of hiring the right person to do the role. Like he was amazing, but our friendship suffered after the sale of that business. And it took a long time before we kind of became friends again, or close friends. We never stopped being friends. So I learned valuable lessons in that. 
I learned how to, I can tie a nice ribbon. I can curl nice ribbons uh, and, and wrap you a nice basket, Pete. You'll love the cellophane and, and ribbons uh, game that I have. I notice certain brands of fancy gourmet products that I used to sell. So there were all sorts of aspects that I absolutely learned that were valuable. Uh, did any of them directly relate that I can think of into the IT business or what I do now? Not that I can really see. Uh, it was just more business experience and lessons learned that have made me a more well-rounded and better understanding the pros and cons of business, I think. Interesting. So you learned some of the things, not what to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, learning new skills, I guess, you know, open your mind to different ways of doing business and what some of the challenges are. Isn't it funny? Yeah. We've talked a bit about the grass being greener on the other side. When you have a service business, you're always looking at and, uh, you know, fantasizing about a product business and vice versa. If you've got a product business, you're fantasizing about a service business. But in every business, there is a uh, challenge and uh, there's the, uh, you know, the flowers going off part of that business, <laughs> whatever, whatever business you're in. I'm going to share Absolutely. a little bit about uh, mine, uh, one of my uh, additional businesses that I started. So, we started a hosting company. We called it Host Genius uh, and that was beautifully vertically integrated into our IT company. So many of our small business customers would come to us for IT consulting and many of them would ask us, who should I use as a web host? And so we thought, hey, this is a good idea. I partnered, partnered with someone outside the business, started a web hosting business. I found a similar effect, Carl, in that my attention and my ability to lead was really split between those businesses. I would say it really wasn't split fairly. 70% of my time was still going to the IT business and 30% of my time was going to the hosting business. I'd also say that it was going there sporadically. And so I don't think I was really effective as a leader executing strategies uh, and executing operationally because anytime, you know, if there were two fires burning, I'd, I'd put out the fire in the bigger, more successful uh, and more important to me business first. The other thing was sometimes I just would become fatigued. Uh, you know, one business is hard enough to manage the marketing and the sales and the finance and everything else. And uh, after I had done all of that for the primary business, then going to the second business and having to like think about doing that again was really challenging. They were some of the hard bits and some of the things that didn't work. Some of the things that did work was I learned to work with a business partner. That was really great because I didn't have a business partner in my primary business. I've not brought on any external investors I don't have any other uh, financial partners in the business apart from uh, you know bonuses that my executive team earn. And for me, IT Genius is really, I think, you know, it's kind of like my baby. It's kind of like the firstborn, right? Because it literally is. It's my first significant business that I've had. And I could argue that I kind of started doing this work when I was 15. And so, it's still really that one business that I've been running for 15 years. You never want to let it and go. It's absolutely right. And, and there's some drawbacks to that because- you know, I could say that we've slowed our growth by not taking on external investment. I've potentially hindered myself by not allowing another financial business partner to be involved in the business to help grow and to help manage and to help run the business. Um, so, some of the positives that I had in the second business that I started was obviously learning that, the dynamics of working with a business partner, what I liked, what I didn't like. Um, and some of the other things that I learned were, of course, about a different industry, a different business model, uh, you know, what was good about that. What did I not enjoy about that? But one of the things that I really learned, which was very positive, was being able to let go and delegate more. 
Again, mm. IT Genius being my primary business, being the business that I don't really want to let go of because I, you know, want to absolutely control everything in that business. Having a second business was kind of like, oh, yeah, I don't mind. You know, this is a bit more of an experiment rather than something that is completely intrinsically attached to my identity as a business owner. So, to the listener, if you're a business owner and you're in your first business or you're in the kind of business that's been running for 10 or 15 years, I implore you to think, how might I release myself from being a control freak for everything that's in the business? How might I delegate more? How might I uh, remove my personal ego identity from the intrinsic attachment to the business and try and operate a little bit further away? Carl, one of the things that I like about your latest business or one of your latest businesses, Automation Agency, is that you are not actually attached to the brand. You have your own personal brand of Carl Taylor and that certainly promotes and certainly supports the business, but the business doesn't equal Carl, where for the most part, IT Genius really does equal Peter Moriarty, like the two are very intrinsically linked and sure... IT Genius can exist as a brand on itself, uh, but the two are very much intrinsically linked from a branding perspective. And, uh, you know, that, that raises all kinds of challenges when it comes to sell or move on from the business or introduce other partners as well. Oh, absolutely. And that was not an accident. That was a very strategic, well thought through decision that came after I sold my IT company and mm. was like, no, next, the next business I do, uh, outside of anything that's personal brand related, you know, will, will be something that does not equal Carl, you know, Carl is connected to it, but it is not, it is not, um, you know, you get this bit, like I I always think of Branson, right. And Virgin, you know, you go, you go catch a flight on a Virgin plane or you go to anything that's Virgin money or whatever. You don't expect Branson to answer the phone. If there's a complaint, you don't expect that you can get Branson on the phone and complain about it. Like I don't even think about Branson when I'm on a Virgin flight. I just think of how cool, virgin is i don't think about the old dude with white hair parasailing on an island somewhere yeah exactly and so that's that's the mentality i think about when building that kind of a business is how do we do it more like that and that and that kind of brings up another thought of i guess where i'm at now because so i've shared i've shared my thoughts around when i did it and it didn't work well running two businesses at once and that's a thought that is always kind of in the back of my mind that's an experience i've had that's created the story that says carl you probably can't run more than one business at once but I'm a creator and I still have ideas and I still have a big vision. And so for the last few years, especially when I had a lot more time on my hands, I'm constantly thinking about more of an ecosystem. And now I've got smarter about it. I think in a more strategic way, the ecosystem solves a core part of my personal vision. And my personal vision is that I believe businesses should be able to work without the owner. So my whole core vision of my ecosystem is trying to create resources, solutions, products, whatever services that ultimately help entrepreneurs and business owners to build businesses that work without them and help them grow and develop as individuals, as people on their personal journey through entrepreneurial um, pursuits. That's kind of my bigger, grander vision. And so I've got an ecosystem for over 18 months. I've been investing in building some software with, with the vision of that becoming another separate business and brand um, with that software. And we're still in very early stages that we're almost ready for an initial beta launch. And I do have in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, like, is this going to end up being another diversity gifts scenario? Uh, and I don't know is the answer. I don't know, but I definitely see there are things I'm doing differently now. And I guess this comes back to if you're listening right now and you're very early in your business career, you're just starting your first business. My personal advice would be focus on one thing. There is wisdom in the Chinese proverb of the man who chases many rabbits catches none 
Um, and I think that's extremely true at the beginning of entrepreneurial pursuits when you're in a certain point of you know, income and time and all those things. I think focus, 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 one key thing. Um, when you get up to a higher level, I don't know this from my own experience yet. Who knows? In a future episode, I could be telling you about how I've changed my mind. I'm unwinding it all. It's, I'm going back to one business. But I do believe, you, you, we've mentioned Branson, you look at someone like Branson, the way that he ultimately builds these multiple businesses is he is the visionary, he has the plan, but then he has other people who are driving and running those businesses. And I think that's the key. It's learning how to manage people, how to lead people more importantly than manage them, how to lead them and paint the vision and have good key executors. If you're going to have multiple businesses, you need to have the support structure of a team. Why do I feel more confident that I can launch this software company and launch an education company? Because I know I've got such a solid team in place in automation agency that it doesn't need me. I was able to take eight months out of the business. That was proof that it doesn't need me on a day-to-day basis. doesn't mean my mind and strategic value is not being placed on it. And I'm going to have to learn to prioritize better how much time I put into each business. So if you're at a higher stage, you've got lots of time in your hand, you can invest, you know how to bring on people, you've got key people. I would actually say multiple businesses may be doable and work as long as you're not the active person starting from scratch. I mean, Pete, you mentioned that the idea of starting building the marketing in one business is hard, doing that again in another business. Totally. The idea of starting brand new businesses again, it's like, oh, that's a lot of work. I could just with the same amount of hours, I could put a bit more tweaks on my existing business and add the same revenue or more uh, rather than building something new. And so it comes down to understanding why why you want to do something. So that's that's my thoughts now is don't focus on one now, but you could go bigger. Pete, you're laughing though. So I want to know what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you've touched on some important uh, points there, Carl. And what comes up for me is, um, you know, coming back to your why. And, and what do you, what do you actually, what do you want and what do you get enjoyment from? Uh, because I think knowing you quite well personally, it's interesting to you to continue to create businesses. That's a form of creation for you and you get enjoyment from that. For me, I'm less interested in starting and creating new businesses. You know, obviously there's, there's different ways to do that. There's the, either the fully involved way or there's a bit more of a hands off way. Um, but I'm actually just less interested in creating new businesses because my primary goal is building income and building wealth, doing things that I love. It's not necessarily going out and starting new businesses. Now, I enjoy being involved in businesses and maybe this is, I mean, my wealth dynamics profile is a bit more of a mechanic than a creator. I'm more of a mechanic lord these days. And so, what that means is I enjoy my time spent actually tweaking a machine once it's already been started. And so, that's where I really get my enjoyment from. And so, for me, it's more exciting to kind of be hovering around other businesses or hovering around other projects. But that like first year just, you know, makes that sounds like absolute hell to me to start from something from scratch again uh, because I just don't have the energy for it. And I don't need to. But interestingly, while I've been thinking about multiple businesses and multiple projects, what it's all been boiling down to is, again, how much time you have and where you choose to spend that time. Now, I've got a lot of time freedom right now. I've got my time commitment in IT Genius down to about two and a half to three days a week. And I bunch that in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so Friday to Monday, I'm fairly free. 
And so that's freed me up to have time for other projects that I've not got to for many years. Some of those projects are to do with cars. I love my cars. Some of those projects have been to do with travel. Some of those projects have been doing to help out with our community projects. One of those projects is helping out with my partner's business, which is in the early stages. And so that's being all set up and I'm enjoying being a part of some of the functions of that business. But the interesting thing is that I've found, Carl, that even though I've got heaps of time, not everything is being done. And I found that really mm. interesting. Changing all of the parts on my Jeep isn't getting done. Uh, updating all of the performance modifications on my GT aren't all getting done. Getting my motorbike out of the shed and cleaning it and giving it an update and getting it re-registered and a safety inspection, all those kind of things isn't getting done. And a week ago, I had to reflect on that. If I've got all this time, but I'm still not doing these things, why am I not doing them? And what I realized mm. was I wasn't actually getting enjoyment out of those tasks. The tasks of, to me, which I now realize seem like menial tasks of, you know, changing components on a vehicle, organizing mechanics, ordering parts online and all of those kind of things actually weren't enjoyable for me. Even though I had the time for them, they weren't actually enjoyable. What was much more enjoyable for me was to actually sit back, have someone else do it, and then me have the enjoyment of actually uh, enjoying those vehicles rather than being a part of it. Uh, again, in my partner's business, rather than me actually being hands dirty in, in doing things, I've much more enjoyed being hands back, giving a little bit of guidance, a little bit of support, maybe a little bit of coaching here and there, uh, but not actually being hands-on and involved in it. And I've since found that being on the kind of ancillary area of other businesses in a kind of like mentor slash advisory board type role, uh, that is what I get a lot of enjoyment from. And so that's giving me a lot more than uh, a lot more excitement than it would be going and starting a new business. And so I think that's an option there. But you've really got to decide, is this the right thing for me based on what you like and what you're actually going to get from that activity? I think it goes back to what we talked about, optimizing for joy. You know, that, that's really interesting. I find that absolutely amazing that you've come to that discovery of those things that you were like, oh, I enjoy doing them. And then yet I'm not doing the work. What's, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of something that Byron Katie would say. It's like, you know, that thing, if you, if, if you were going to get it done, you would have done it. You know, like, you know, when it's time to do it, you'll do it. And um, until then, it, it clearly didn't need to be done. And so it's interesting that you got to that point where you started to go, well, hold on, why am I not doing this? And you're, you're totally right. The reason that I love creating new businesses is I enjoy the strategy of it. I enjoy the conception of it. I like the idea of it. And um, it's the same with why I like mentoring and supporting other business owners too, because you can bring in that strategy. You can help support people with something that's up and running. So how do you find the difference between delegating something that is not good for you to be doing because it's just not good use of your time versus pushing through the barrier and just getting something done. I'll give you an example. My partner, Sarah, has been resisting and procrastinating around creating some videos to publish for her social followers. But every time she publishes videos, she gets an amazing response. People share them, hundreds of shares, tens of thousands of views, and they do really well. At what point Where's the needle? Where's the line there between doing things that you really should push off to someone else or actually just actually pushing through and doing them yourself? That's a great question. And if I had the uh, perfect answer of that, I think if anyone <laughs> had the perfect answer from that, they would be, there'd be a book and everyone would know about it and they'd be like praised as some amazing guru. My experience, my experience is there are plenty of things in my life that the same thing that I know that they're smart. Like for, I'll give you a 
example, for the last basically six years, I've known that if Automation Agency did phone sales, that we would likely sell a lot more. Our revenue would grow. But I was very conscious of I didn't want to do phone sales and I didn't yet have a team member that I felt confident would be great on phone sales and I, I don't have experience building a sales team. And so I just was like, no, I'm not going to do phone sales. I'm not, and I found other solutions. I found other ways to solve the problem, to handle marketing and do different things so we didn't need phone sales. Now I have a resource. Uh, my partner Liz is joining us in the business and she, basically her entire career has been building and leading sales teams. And so that all of a sudden has opened up a new opportunity. So sometimes I think it's a timing. It's not that the idea or the thing is 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 wrong or bad. Sometimes it's about going, okay, looking at why do I not want to do it? And I had really strong self-awareness. I knew that there were it was more than just I personally didn't want to get on the phone. It was also that I wanted to have a great client experience. I wanted to reflect well on the brand. I want the client to have, um, you know, feel like they were getting support and guidance. And I didn't believe that I yet had the skills. So I chose not to go and learn those skills. I chose to double down on the things I knew I was good at. And then a resource has appeared, which is amazing that I, it's like, this makes sense. And it's for more than that, it makes sense for her life too, to want to come and join us. But like, that's so sometimes I think it's about just going, okay, now's not the right time for this. And there's going, find the resource who can do it. The other piece I would say to that example of, of Sarah's is what if, she knows that this is good for her business. Hmm. Now, she has a couple of choices. She could test to go, okay, if, she, if for whatever reason, she doesn't want to be the one on the camera, is there someone else who can be on the camera? A bit like what I'm doing. You know, Liz is going to come in. I found a resource who can do it. So if it makes sense, that the, clearly the business should be doing this videos and she, for whatever reason, she doesn't want to do it, can she bring someone else to do that? That's, hmm. that's option one. Option two is... If it's really good for the business, I, I still think there's value in finding what is the resistance? What is the friction that's getting in the way? Is the friction the showing up on camera? Is the friction on knowing what to talk about? Is the friction on once it's posted, I feel a certain way. I feel like people might be judging me. Is, is the friction that now it's recorded, it needs to be post-production? I, I think when you start to really look at where the problem is and identify those friction points, then solutions will show up. And mm. rather than just go, oh, I won't do this, you can start to go, oh, it's actually, I just need someone to do that one piece. And then it all of a sudden becomes amazing. Now, podcasts, why am I doing this podcast with you, Pete? I've done podcasts in the past. I found that podcasts bringing in hosts, that was a friction, um, like guests was a friction for me. Whereas for you and I to jump on a call, have this great conversation, that makes it so much less friction and makes it easy and more consistent to be done. I've got that self-awareness to know. So that's my thoughts mm. on on that line. I don't think there is a magic line. I think it's just understanding what is the core root of the problem, what creates the friction, and what's the best way to solve it. And sometimes just letting go and going, you know what, I'm not going to do it and find something else that you're going to do instead. I like that, Carl. I think uh, what you've really distilled there is identifying when is it an area that you need coaching on? You know, When is it an area that you need to work on yourself and your own personal development versus organizational design? And organizational design is about, am I really the best person in this business to be doing this task or the best person to be doing this task full stop? And working through your own stuff is about, okay, well, if I am the best person, but I'm having resistance, then how can I remove the blocks in myself? And, you know, you could work with a coach, you could work with a business coach, you could work with someone who does, you know, emotional clearing to help you get past that. But if right now you're procrastinating and there's stuff that you're not doing or it's taking you days to do or it's stopping you from doing higher value tasks, then you might want to have a look at that, inspect that a bit. 
Well, and I think the end of the day, it comes down to judgment, removing judgment. Like why, I don't know whether it's, you know, maybe it's your judgment, Pete, where it's Sarah's judgment on herself in your example. But for you, the listener, if you've ever had the experience of going like, I want to do this, but I'm not doing it. And you start to beat yourself up. You know, I've set mm. this intention. I plan to do this. Like last night was uh, met up with some friends and this guy was saying that, you know, he was going to the gym really regularly and now he's not been exercising for, for ages. And I kind of just asked the question. I was like, well, what's, you know, what's the reason you want to do it? Firstly, remove judgment. Stop beating yourself up for the fact you're not doing it. Like that's, that's It's okay. You, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And I think we get attached to the idea of going, this is good for my business, so I have to do it. I think also sometimes what happens is we look at other people doing something and we go, oh, they're doing it. I need to be doing that too because that's what successful business owners do. That's what I have to do to become successful. And everyone has their own unique recipe, right? Like I, I think a lot of people miss that sometimes. And this is really important. Like I hope you really hear this. Everyone has their unique recipe. You have your unique recipe. On this show, Pete and I are sharing some of the bits that have helped in our recipe. But never would I ever tell you that if you do exactly what I've done, you'll get the same result as me. Because you are your own unique person with your own mix of experiences, connections, networks, thought processes, stories about life that ultimately you will have the power to do things that I could never dream of. Just like there'll be things that I can do really easily that you find really struggle. And that's just part of my unique ability, my unique part of who I am. And so when you understand that, sometimes it's easy to judge yourself because you're not doing something you see someone else do, even though it's very obvious, it's very clear that if I did that thing, things would be better. And you can beat yourself up and go, why am I not doing it? And that is not useful. Now, does that mean that maybe you should find a way to get that done? Maybe, but maybe not. But it's, if you can stop judging yourself, I think that's a really important place to start no matter what. And other people can judge you, but that doesn't matter as long as you don't judge yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think to bring the episode to a close, let's, let's loop back around to where we started. Um, and that is on uh, you know optimizing for time. If you're choosing to spend your 24 hours, how are you going to choose to spend them? And so, Carl, maybe let's, you know, go through some top tips. We've both removed ourselves from our businesses from a time perspective. We've got really good at delegating, which I think is a, a big part of that and our ability to do that. We've got really good at creating systems, I think, is another reason we've been able to do that well. Uh, but what are your top tips for someone who's maybe suffering from bright, shiny object syndrome or who has too many things going for them right now and is feeling a bit of overwhelm? in their current reality with how many things they're juggling and they're maybe noticing that they're not quite getting the results that they want to get right now. Mm. Top tip number one is unless you've got the resources around you, whether that be team or other support structures, that you should probably just focus on one thing. You know, uh, even internal, if it's only one business, but you've got multiple ideas in the one business, uh, I would suggest that you not try to do any more than three projects at a time if you have a decent team, management team in place, I'll let you stretch that to five projects at a time. But otherwise, if you're just a single you know, team member or a very small team, you don't have other management and leaders in place, three projects at a time. That's it. You've got three projects that can be personal, can be business, but stick to your three, uh, extend to five uh, if, if you've got leadership support. Um, so that would be my first tip is really 
prioritize, focus what you're doing. It doesn't mean give up that. on it your It makes dreams. me think of the management framework of only having five people managed by any one person in the business because Pizza. one person can't really manage or lead more than five people at a time. Yeah, it's like if if a team requires more than one pizza to feed, then it's too it's too big of a team. Um, <laughs> nice, and so I like, like that. <laughs> so the the idea there is don't give up. You don't have to give up on the dream. Just understand that right now, you focus your priorities, you focus your attention, and this is easy. And it, it's not always easy. I meant to say this will mm. this can be hard at times. But do that. That's my tip number one. Tip number two would then be start to build the support structures. Start mm. to go, okay, now these projects are on the way. How do you put the support structures in there so it starts to remove you from needing to do those projects, get them done? Once you get that support structure, you can start to look at expanding your, your view of what you're doing. The, the third thing I would say there is at the end of the day, have a clear vision of why you want to do something and why you're doing yeah. it and what is, what's ultimately going to give you the best joy. And don't worry about what are other people think going to think of you what's the you know i need to have a million dollar business or a 10 million dollar business because that's what is the thing or i need to raise capital or whatever your ideas are be excited by your ideas but make sure they're your own and that's what you're chasing and you're not chasing what you think society mm. wants you to do that's probably my my biggest tips and then i guess if you've got a lot of ideas and you're like which one do i focus on final tip i'll give you which is really practical get a sheet of paper uh break it up into a bunch of columns write all your projects down in one column then on the next column, write uh, cost. What's this project going to cost you? And measure it in two types of costs, time and money. What's it going to cost you in money to, to, to launch this project, to do this thing? And what's it going to cost you in terms of, of, of time as well as money? Once you've done that, then the next column you want is return. What is the return that you expect to get from this in dollar value? Which project's going to give you the highest dollar return? And then once you've got clear on what the costs are, what the dollar return is, you could also add other currency there. You could add enjoy return. You could add an impact return. Uh, but if you just want one, start with dollars. Political and power, anything you want to add. <laughs> yeah, but then you rate them by each. So you go, okay, based on these projects, the one that costs the least in dollars, one, two, three, four, five, six, right? And you rate them, rank them that way. Then the project that costs the least in time, you rate them by that. And then the project that's going to provide the biggest return, you rate them by that. And now you're going to end up with three columns and there'll be like ones, twos, and maybe mm -hmm. there'll be one project where one, one, one is in all those columns. That's the obvious one to focus on. Otherwise, maybe you'll find that there's one that was going to cost a little bit, doesn't take long to implement, and the return is pretty well nothing. You can go, well, it's quick to implement. Maybe I'll bother. I'll still do it. Or you'll really quickly start to go, you know what? The one that is a quick win that I can implement, it starts to really stand out when you do this project. So that's that's my final tip. I what love them. That's awesome. I've got three uh, myself that I'll share as well. I think with anything starting with the end in mind, and I think that uh, aligns to one of your points there, Carl, is understanding the vision of, of where you want to go. If you're really clear on your vision and you're really clear on your goals, makes it really easy to know what to do every quarter and then every month and then every week and then every day. Because if you're focusing on the task that gets you closer and closest towards your goal, that's all you really need to bother about. And I want you to bring in the 80-20 principle into that. What is the 20% that I can do that it's going to give me the 80% of my results? Because it's really easy to fill your day with being busy, but there are probably some things that you can not do that will free up a whole lot of time for you. Now, if you do the 80-20 rule twice and you take 20% of your results and you do 80-20 on that, 4% of what you do 
equates to 64% of your results. So 4% of what you do equates to 64% of your results. Now, I'm not suggesting that you just do the 4%. You're going to have to do some other things as well. That's granted. But if you focus on that 4% first, if every day you look at your day and you look at your monthly and your quarterly and your yearly goals and you say, okay, what can I do today that will get me closer towards my goals? Not what can I do today to stop the flashing red lights in all areas of my business because we've all got them. I get it then you're probably going to get a lot closer to your goals faster if your focus is always what's going to move me forward. So the second one that I want to share is to not be afraid of changing your reality, changing your business, changing your strategy to suit your lifestyle. Again, Carl, I think we're pretty aligned in this. In making sure that you are making choices for yourself, they may have to be real commercial decisions. At one time, I was servicing customers on site And we wanted to open up to a larger audience. We wanted to open up to customers all over the country and then eventually internationally as well. And I had to switch off a multiple hundreds of thousands of dollar income stream, which was our managed services practice, because we could no longer support those customers while we were transitioning to remote work. And so we made a commercial business decision that was aligned to me being able to travel more, me getting closer to the goals of the business and overall worked out really well for us because I felt happier that I was closer to my personal goals because of the commercial business decisions that we had made. Now, that was in the face and bucking the trend of all of our competitors in the IT industry, uh, but it eventually worked out very well for us. Yeah, so if I can add something there, I think that... This is a really important point, actually. That's why I wanted to to interrupt because your business is your business. Hmm. You started this business or you bought this business for a reason. That reason was probably for more money, more time, more flexibility, whatever the dream was. And sadly, too many, you're potentially in a situation where your business is not giving you quite what you originally believed and dreamed that you would have. But that's within your control. The decisions you make in how you set up your business, your business should serve you. Yes, you need to add value to the clients. It needs to be a viable business. But at the end of the day, you should be making decisions to give you the lifestyle, you the business, what the return that you want. And I think that's just a really important point that you mentioned there, Pete, that you made some key decisions that potentially hurt the business financially short term to realign them with your personal goals so you could have a happier life, which then ultimately created higher returns in the commercial sense once you were more aligned with your actual vision. So I just wanted to interrupt and bring that to really to a point because I think that's just really important. I appreciate that. My third point, and I think this will bring our uh, episode to a close, is that you should focus on results rather than activity when you're delegating to your team. And I think this one goes really deep. What I mean by this is when you're trying to take things off your plate and get them on the plate of your team, quite often we scope out what we want the team to do. And that makes sense, right? You want the team to do stuff for you, so you tell them what to do, right? But quite often the team will see their required performance as just doing the thing. But in your mind, you actually have somewhere that you want to go. You've got all this extra context. You've got the goals, you've got the vision, you've got the mission, you know where you want to get to and you know that that activity is just a piece of the puzzle. Well, you've got to make sure that you're showing the team the bigger puzzle so that they can actually see where they need to go to as well. And then if you can, actually get your team involved in the bigger picture of the puzzle so that they know that the activities that they're doing are contributing to a required result. And then when you manage and monitor and check in and get feedback and actually have your team 
return that work to you or get that work done, you ideally want to have them focusing on and putting their energy on the result and not just on the activity. Because someone might come back to you in a week's time and say, hey, I ticked all those boxes but didn't actually get the result and that's where friction can come up and that's where we can jump into the mentality of, oh no, only I can do it the right way. And it's often because we've just got all of this extra context that we're not actually clearly communicating. So if you're really clear on the vision, remember I said start with the end in mind, Um, then when you're bringing your team into that process as well, have them understand and know the vision and where you need to get to and they're going to have a lot better results in the work that they're doing to get you closer to what those goals are. I love that, Pete. That's amazing. And I agree with 100% with everything you said. So uh, let's uh, call this done. It's been an amazing conversation. I trust that you, the listener, have taken some mental notes at the very least of some ideas that you can take away and implement. And if you were in a bit of a, what do I do? What do I focus on? I hope you've got some strategies or even an insight as to what is your number one focus from here on in. Uh, as always, you can find the show notes of this episode at rising.show. We also really appreciate your feedback. So whichever uh, podcasting platform you are listening to this right now, I would love for you to go find the rating. Click on the five stars if you thought it was that good and give us uh, your comments. Let us know. Don't just click the button, but leave leave some feedback. We want to know what do you enjoy? What do you what do you like? Do you do you love Pete? Do you love me? Do you like the mix? Do you think everything that Pete says is absolute rubbish? Uh, or do you think everything I say is absolute rubbish? Whatever, we'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback. It really helps us know what to create more of. Pete, any final words before we call this done? Look, I think I've got Two very quick book recommendations for anyone who wants to work on their productivity. One is called The One Thing and the other one is called Eat That Frog. Uh, Eat That Frog, I really love. Uh, It's by a guy called Brian Tracy and he's studied productivity and has some absolute nuggets in there. Super short book and has been life-changing for me. But one of the most important traits of a successful uh, business owner, someone who is productive and productive consistently is making sure that you get the most important tasks done first. And that's what this book is all about. It's called Eat That Frog. Uh, it's got heaps of uh, heaps of awesome stuff in there, psychology and habit forming and taken the best of the best and put it all into one place. Sold millions and millions of copies worldwide. If you haven't heard of it, Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy, uh, my number one. And uh, the other one is called The One Thing, another good one on getting focused on making sure you're clear on your priorities. I always love a good book that the title basically gives you the essence and the one thing was very much (laughs) that book. Uh, It was a great book. I loved it. But yes, it is exactly what you think it's about and which is why you should probably buy it and read it. All right. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. I'll see you next time and uh, hope you loved the episode. Thank you so much, guys. If you're interested in checking out all of our episodes, head along to rising.show and we will see you in the next one. Cheers. Bye.